Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir and Chaim Maharan. We're continuing in the section called Lehisrachek Mechakirois, to stay away from philosophy and, and those types of books. We're up to paragraph 414, and we dedicate the learning today, Li'ilu Nishmas Esther Goldabas Rabdovid, whose yard site is on the 16th of Kislev, being that we will not have a shear on that day, we're dedicating it a little bit early. And Li'ilu Nishmas, all those that need an alias neshama, and for our complete refuah shalema, for all those that need refuahs and yeshuas. Paragraph 414. Someone once asked Ravenazal about the fact that it says in Shulchan Aruch, in the beginning of Orachayim, that when a person says Hashem's name Yud Vovke, they're supposed to have in mind that Hashem is Hoyo Hoive Veyiyeh. Hashem was, is, and will be. And when a person says Hashem's name Elohim, they're supposed to have in mind that Hashem is all powerful, etc. And they asked Rabbeinazal, should we be thinking these thoughts when we recite Hashem's name? Rabbeinazal said, what's wrong if you simply have in mind when you say, when you pronounce Yudke Vavke, we don't pronounce it the way it's written, we pronounce it Ado and then Noi. What's wrong in having in mind just Hashem? Hashem. Because by, by a person having in mind when we're pronouncing Hashem's name, that we're referring to Hashem, the creator of everything, that alone, Rabbi Nezal said, should make a person hands and feet and all 248 organs and 365 tendons of a person tremble. Rav Nosan Zal adds to this, he said, I also heard personally something from Rav Nezal on this topic when we were in the house of Rav Nachman Nosan in Uman. This is the last few months of Rav Nezal's life when he had moved from the city of Breslov to the city of Uman. And, and at, during part of the time that he was in Uman, he stayed in the house that was owned previously by somebody who was known as Nachman Nosen Rappaport, who was a major apicoris. And Rabbeinazal stayed in that, he was no longer alive, and Rabbeinazal stayed in that house for a period of time. So Rabbeinazal writes that once, after Rabbeinazal had his evening meal, and I stayed alone with him after he finished doing the Birka Samozim, Rabbeinazal was sitting quietly, and then he suddenly said, Go, go, got. He was saying the Yiddish word for Hashem, meaning that at first he was about to say the word got, meaning Hashem in Yiddish, and, and he was trembling, trembling to let that word out of his mouth. So at first he only said like the first half a syllable, got. And then only afterwards, after a few seconds, did he complete the word and say got and, and said it with, with tremendous awe and fear, like an arrow, like shooting an arrow out. And Rav Nosanzal writes that obviously Rav Nosanzal's intention here was to, to, to make us aware of the level of fear of Hashem that we're supposed to have and that a Jew is supposed to tremble and, and feel really, really extreme fear of Hashem who fills the entire world and is over us 24-7 all the time. And Rav Nosan Zal writes here, it's impossible for me to describe this in writing, what I saw, the level of awe and fear that Rav Nosan had when he mentioned the word Hashem, or when he spoke about Hashem. But Rav Nosanzal says, but a person who wants to understand and is seeking the truth will be able to understand a little bit from what we're saying here now as to how much we have to fortify ourselves with complete, pure, simple faith to believe that Hashem is everywhere, all the time, omnipresent.
And Rav Nosazal says, think about this carefully until you'll be able to draw upon yourself this fear and this awe of Hashem. Any questions? The next paragraph, Tov Tesvav 4.15, regarding the question of Yediyah versus Bechira. Yediyah means that Hashem knows everything that will be in the future. Hashem knows exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow. And at the same time, we say that when tomorrow arrives, I have 100% free choice to do a mitzvah or chas v'shom, the opposite. And there is a lot written about this and people speaking about this, how they can't understand how this is, how this is not a contradiction. You're telling me that Hashem knows a year before or a hundred years before exactly what's going to take place <clears throat> and, and there's no possibility of anything different take, and you're telling me that, that there's free choice. Rabbi Nassau speaks about this in chapter 21 and we cut him around a little bit and Rabbi Nassau refers to this as a sechel hamakif, that this is a level of knowledge that we cannot bring inside our brain. It's like a halo that surrounds our head, which we will not be able to understand until the future, when Mashiach comes. Rav Nosanzal tells us now that Rav Nosanzal once said that he already had a very good, clear explanation and answer to this question. And the answer was 100% clear, like other things that Rabbi Nezal said, that when Rabbi Nezal made a statement about something, it was completely clear and, and no, no haziness about it at all whatsoever. And Rabbi Nezal said he had already put this into writing, but he lost the, he lost the paper. And, and, he, and Rabbi Nezal said he forgot about it. He, and Rav Nosanzal adds here in parentheses that this was Rabbi Nezal's derech, that when he would speak about a certain topic, that would be on the screen. That was what he was focusing on the time at, at that time. When he went on to something else, he would let go completely of the previous topic. He wasn't there anymore. Because he was always looking for new. Rabbi Nezal was always looking for new, new insights about Hashem, new revelations. Rav Nosanzal is here, I once heard from Rabbi Nezal that he said that it's impossible for us to be able to understand how Bechira exists within Yediyah, how there is free choice even though Hashem knows exactly what's going to take place. Good question in the chat. Regarding what we said before, that Rabbi Nezal said that when a person mentions Hashem's name, they shouldn't, they don't have to be thinking any big kavanois. Rabbi Nezal said, what's wrong with just thinking Hashem? And when you say the word Hashem, when you say Hashem's name, that alone should fill you with incredible awe and fear. How does that align with the fact that Rabbi Nezal wanted us to follow the Shulchan Aruch in all cases? I believe it's not a contradiction. What Rabbi Nassau was saying was that, th- that when a person says Hashem's name, when a person is making a bracha, baracha to Hashem al-Khaylam, even if at a particular moment the person isn't in a position to be thinking all the thoughts that the Shulchan Aruch mentions at the time, just the mention of Hashem's name alone that alone should be an incredible high for a person. And that alone should be something that awakens, that raises the voltage, you know, to a billion volts in a person when they say Hashem's name with, a, with an awe, with a fear. And, and again, that there are people who could tremble, actually tremble when they say Hashem's name. 
It's interesting to note that today there is a Breslover Chassid in Yerushalayim, one of the sons of Reb Shmuel Shapiro, Zechren Avracha. Reb Shimon Shapiro is his name, who's very, who's very well known in, in Breslov Meisharim, very well liked. And in, by him sometimes you can see this, that when he says Hashem's name or when he says certain, certain items in the tefillah, he'll actually tremble, shake, you know, from, from awe, the feeling of saying it. We know, for example, when it comes to the Kriya Shema, where the Shulchan Aruch says that when a person says the word Echad in the Kriya Shema, when you say the Aleph of Echad, you're supposed to have in mind that Hashem is one above and below. When you say the Ches of Echad, you're supposed to have in mind that Hashem rules in all seven heavens and on earth. That's a total of eight. When you say the Dalet of Echad, you're supposed to have in mind that Hashem rules in all four directions, Mizrach, Mayrev, Dorim, Tzofoin. And also it's brought that a person should try to have in mind that I, I accept upon myself all four types of Misa's Bezin, that, that if Chas V'Shalom I committed any type of sin that warrants a death penalty, there are four types of death penalty that the Torah speaks about, death by stoning, death by by burning, swallowing hot molten lead, death by having a person's head cut off, herig, and chenik, death by strangulation. A person is supposed to have in mind that I be, I, I'm willing to take upon myself these punishments to, to atone, to forgive for any sin that I committed. So these are examples where the halacha says a person should try to have these things in mind, but I, I believe what Rabbeinazal was saying over there is that there are times, let's say, when a person is, is rushed or whatever, they can't necessarily have the full kavanois that are mentioned even in the Shulchan Aruch. And Rabbeinazal wanted to stress that just saying the word Hashem, Ado, you know, that alone should be a major, major high-frequency experience for a Jew. The next paragraph, 416, Rav Zal says, we were once speaking to Rav Zal, and he revealed to us that he has a proof, a clear proof, that Hashem created the world from complete nothingness. 5,784 years ago, we're giving this shear today, in the year Tovshin Peidalet, in Kislev Yud Yud Gimel Kislev Tovshin Peidalet. Actually, it's the evening already, so it's going towards Yudalet. And not like the scientists say that the world is billions of years old, and etc. etc. Rabbeinazal said, because if if what I'm not if if what we believe is not true, how in the world does the the world we are in able to contain all of mankind and all of the birds and all of the all of the creations. We we see that the number of people, the population is growing all the time. And even though people are dying, it doesn't it's not competing with the amount of people that are being born, new people being born all the time. Because from one person comes forth generations and generations. You follow a family tree sometimes of people a few hundred years, you can see, Mamish, that from one person came from one couple, came hundreds or thousands of people. We know that just in, in our time, one of the leaders, one of the elders of Breslov, Rabbi Moshe Burstein, who lived to the age of 98, and he had six children, and before he passed away, I believe at his 90th birthday or 95th birthday, they made a family gathering and there were over a thousand descendants. Grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. And so too from every single person. So if that's the case, where are all the... If, if the world existed billions of years, where, where are all the people? The, the world should be filled up and there shouldn't be any room for, for, for more people since the, the world is finite and, and the, number, the population is increasing and expanding all the time. That was one proof that Rabbein Azal gave.
And then on another occasion, he gave another proof regarding all the people that have died. Because when a person dies and they bury the person in the ground, it adds a little bit to the ground, even after the body deteriorates and rots. Putting the person into the ground does add something. There's some substance that's added there. And again, if we're talking about millions and billions of years, the earth, Rabbein Ezzel said, should be all the way up to the sky from all the people that have been buried in it over these millions and billions of years. Rav Nosanzal says, and understand this, if you think about it, you'll understand that these are valid proofs for, for a person who, who is willing to admit to the truth and not stubborn in trying to deny the truth and, and chas v'shom, anger Hashem. And now Rav Nosanzal adds a very important comment. And he says, but the real truth is we don't need to enter into these questions at all whatsoever. We don't need these questions and we don't need these proofs. We believe that Hashem created the world in six days, 5,784 years ago. And we believe that without any philosophical thoughts, without any scientific proofs. Just as it says clearly in the beginning of the Torah, Bereshis bara that in the beginning Hashem created heaven and earth. And Rav Nosanzal says, the only reason why I wrote down those two proofs that Rav Nosanzal gave was because these words came out of Rav Nosanzal's mouth. I, I didn't want anything that Rav Nosanzal said to go lost. I couldn't hold myself back from not writing it down in order to take out the eyes of those atheists, those people who don't believe. They don't believe in the Torah, and, and they, they, they think that they know scientific facts to prove these things. And I did this just to be able to show their foolishness and their mistake. Because if a person wants honestly to think about these two proofs that we mentioned before, they would realize that a person cannot deny this. They cannot refute these proofs. And maybe there'll be some people who will see that, and that'll get them to realize, you know, that they're mistaken, and that any, any beliefs that they have differently are not true. But we, we don't need any proofs at all. Because we believe, we are the descendants of Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, we are called Ma'aminim B'nai Ma'aminim, we believe in Hashem, we believe in the Torah, without having to philosophize, without having to make it conform with what, what scientists say, just with pure faith. And this is the foundation of the entire Torah and the foundation of Yiddishkeit. As the Gemara says towards the end of Makkas, that there were different people who tried to shrink the Torah to its most basic principles and Chavako Kanavi came along and he said the entire Torah can be shrunken to one basic concept which is that a tzaddik lives with faith emphasizing that that's the most important thing in our relationship with Hashem, that we believe, we believe, even things that we don't understand, we believe 100% that if this is what Hashem says, if this is what's in the Torah, it's 100% accurate. Any questions? Question, but don't wars and epidemics take enough lives so that the population doesn't increase so much? The answer is not at all. If you look at the birth rates around the world, we're not talking about, you know, uh, in, in Manhattan, where people have one, one and a half kids and a dog. We're talking about in places in the world, you know, or number one in the, the, the Jewish community, in the religious Jewish community, and among the world in places like Africa and other places where people produce children all the time. They don't, they don't do anything to prevent bringing new children into the world. 
So there's mi- millions and billions of children that have been born through, throughout all the generations. And again, if the world were millions and billions of years old, there definitely would be no room. There wouldn't be any room in the world, you know, for us to exist. And also the issue of those that were buried that we explained earlier. The next paragraph four hundred exactly. Somebody just said just look at Gaza, you know, how how that population has multiplied, how quickly that population multiplied. Paragraph four hundred and seventeen. We once heard that the Tsar wants to issue a a variety of decrees against the Jewish people. And one of those decrees would be that Jewish children would be forced to learn secular knowledge and foreign languages. And Rabbi Nezal said that this decree is so terrible that for this we should declare a fast, a fast day and to scream and cry out to Hashem more so than the other decrees, because this decree is worse than all the other decrees, because through this, this is what they want to use to cause the Jews to assimilate, to be able to mingle easily with with other people, with non-Jews, and assimilate, and thereby undermine the whole Jewish nation lose the whole as as we see as we see today unfortunately we see this in the united states and other places we see a rate of assimilation that boggles the mind that among those people who are living among the goyim among non-jews and sending their children to schools where they study secular knowledge especially universities places like that the rate of assimilation outside the tri-state area is maybe 80-90%. There's maybe 10-20% of Jewish children that remain that, that marry into the faith. The vast majority don't. And 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 Rabnosis alright say, as we see, Mamish, we see with our own eyes what has happened to the Jewish nation since Jewish children started being educated with secular knowledge. Versus before that where the Jewish children were being raised purely in a Torah environment and purely with the study of Torah. Torah Shabbat Sav, the written Torah, the oral Torah, that was enough to keep them busy full-time. As we know today, there are some Haredi schools where children are being raised that way. They're not taught science, they're not taught any politics, they're not taught anything outside of the framework of Torah, and what they need to be able to understand Torah. And Rav Nosanzal says, during his time, we see that those people who put their children into those kind of schools in those days, this was the reform movement which had started in Germany and spread to Russia. And again, their, their goal was to force Jewish children to go into secular schools and to study secular knowledge we see that those people that went that route, unfortunately, left Yiddishkeit. They dropped Shabbos, they dropped Kashrus, they, they assimilated completely. And, and he adds, may Hashem have pity on us and save the sh- small Jewish population that remains. Rav Nosanzal adds now, Rabbein once said, Oi, avoy that we don't think about our children and we don't think about generations to come, about how to save them from these floods, the floodwaters that want to flood the world, which are the study of secular knowledge, foreign languages, philosophy, which are spreading now in the world in general, and even among religious people, even among religious people, they feel that it's necessary and children have to know this, etc., etc. And, and, and they saw during their time the harm that it was causing. Excuse me for a minute.
this is this is a delicate subject to a degree because the the Jewish people, for example, when they came to the United States from Europe after World War II, and yeshivas were founded at the time, in, even in places, even in the tri-state area, we're not talking about day schools, we're talking about actual yeshivas. And the yeshivas wanted to be included in the school system, you know, for different reasons. And they had to, they they included a little bit of, of secular studies in the curriculum. They would learn Limude Kodesh, let's say, from nine o'clock in the morning till one o'clock till two o'clock. And then from two to five or something like that, they would teach math and science, different things, in order to be included in the school system, in the city school system, the municipal school system. There are, there are many people who went through that school system and remained religious, remained religious in those schools where they made it perfectly clear what was more important and what was less important. And, and if there's ever any contradiction between secular knowledge and, and Torah knowledge, they made it perfectly clear to the students what we believe in and what we consider most important. But we definitely do see that there are a lot of students, a lot of students. And again, there were certain groups Hasidim, some of the Hasidim, where they wouldn't allow, and even among the Litvish community, where they wouldn't allow any secular studies at all, not interested. We don't want to be part of that school system at all, etc., etc. And, and, and we see that many people who did educate their children with secular studies, especially if they went on to universities, unfortunately, there were many, many fatalities I remember I was speaking once not long ago, a few months ago, I believe it was, to a good friend who was originally from the United States, made Aliyah Teretz Yisrael here, and his son went to Yeshiva University. And he mentioned that they had a class reunion about 15, 20 years after they came out of university, and he said he's the only one in his class who is still Shomer Shabbos. So to be able to understand what we're talking about, what kind of statistics we're talking about. This is why Rabbein Azal and other tzaddikim spoke very, very strongly that if it's possible for Jewish children to be raised in a pure, holy environment where they don't have to have these secular studies, usually it's a, it's a protection, it's a major protection. Any questions? Uh, Rabbi, um, like one thing I've been actually working on, and I'm actually going to be doing some more on this. Like uh, when I was in high school, I actually learned some Spanish, and I'm looking at practicing that. And especially, uh, I'm going to be getting a Chumash uh, uh, to go over the Parsha in Spanish with. And also, there's a few other things like uh, that I'm. Like there's actually some uh, rabbis who speak uh, uh, Torah in Spanish. Would that be more of a permissible way of uh, like working on a foreign language? The, the answer is that when, when the Torah was being translated into other languages, for example, Art Scroll, when Art Scroll came out, you know, I don't know if it started 40, 50 years ago, <clears throat> this was a question that came up, whether this is a good thing or not such a good thing, to put the Torah into these other languages and there were major rabbis that were consulted about it, and it was a question, it was a question, whether whether it's allowed to do it or not, whether it's a good idea, whether it's going to do more harm than good, and the decision was made that based on our situation, just like Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, we know that there's the written Torah and the oral Torah, and originally the oral Torah was meant to be oral. It was not meant to be written down at all. It was supposed to be studied from memory. But the, the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi saw that, that if we continue this route, the Torah is going to be forgotten, chas v'shalem. And based on the emergency situation, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, together with the other rabbis, came to a, a, an agreement that we must write down the oral Torah also. The, and that's the Mishnah, the Gemara that we have today. 
So here, when it was taken a step further about putting out the Gemara in English, in Spanish, in French, in these other languages, there was a major consultation among the rabbis, and many rabbis agreed that because of the situation in our generation, <clears throat> that there's a very large majority <clears throat> of Jews who don't know Hebrew and, and certainly don't know Aramaic and are totally excluded from the Torah Shabal Peh, from the Oral Torah, that they said that it is okay, it's a good idea to put out a good, authentic, quality translation of the Gemara, the Talmud Bavli, the Yerushalmi, the Mishnayis, etc., etc. Now, there are many rabbis and many yeshivas where they don't allow art scroll into the yeshiva because they feel that it's a for the for the boys learning in their yeshiva who have the opportunity to learn full time and who have the opportunity to master Aramaic to master the Gemara in its original form. They feel to the, those boys you're giving them crutches. Boys who can walk and can learn how to walk without crutches. You're giving them a crutch which is gonna which is gonna slow them down, it's gonna hold them back. They're not gonna put in the proper effort to understanding the original Aramaic and the original Hebrew, etc., etc. So there are several sides to this. But again, Rabbeinazal was addressing a situation that he saw during his time. That was the beginning of the reform movement, reform conservative, where their goal was for the Jewish people to assimilate. They didn't want, whereas when the Jews were in Egypt, we're told that one of the things that guaranteed our survival and Hashem's willingness to take us out of Egypt was that we did not change our clothing. We did not change our language. We maintained ourselves apart from the Egyptians in that way. These people were looking to, to destroy that completely. They wanted to make sure that Jews will not speak Lushen Kodesh. They won't speak Yiddish. We have to speak German. We have to speak French. Here in France, we have, to, we have to learn their language and their culture with the hope that this would dismantle observant Judaism. And unfortunately, they were very, very successful in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. The Reform and Conservative built temples and all kinds of things and everything. Recent year, and more recently, we see that because it's based on a lot of sheker, a lot of untruths, it's going bankrupt. Because again, following their method, most of their constituents are marrying out, are not maintaining any connection to Judaism. They're marrying non-Jews of all kinds of, of no faith or other faiths and everything. And the whole thing just disappeared. The authentic Judaism just disappears completely in those, in those cultures. The next paragraph, 418, Rav Nelson Zal says, I heard that Rabbi Nelson once said, I am a real, he, he quoted a mission in Perkyophis, which says you should know how to respond to an apikoiris. And Rabbi Nelson said, I am a real meaning, I know exactly what the responses are to these people. And Rav Nosson is that I also heard that Rav once said, I and my students. I and my students, because again, a person learning Rav Sforim and Rav Nosson Sforim is given such a clear, powerful, sweet emuna, faith in Hashem, faith in Tzadikim, faith in the Torah, that for those people who would be willing to listen, if, if they engage a real Breslover who, who learns this form properly, they'll hear, they'll hear a, a clear presentation of Yiddishkeit in a way that they'll, they'll be convinced that this is the real truth. The next paragraph, 419. Rav Nosanzal says, Rav once told me that there are many things that at one point are a secret, not known by the public at all, and then afterwards it becomes no longer a secret. For example, some of the secrets of Kabbalah, which before the time of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi, 
and before the time of the Arizal, there were very, very few people in a generation that had this knowledge. And they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't speak about it at all to students. And if they spoke about it, it was in a very, very secretive way. They would hide the concepts in words that whoever didn't really need to understand it wouldn't understand it. And then afterwards, when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoi came along with his students, and then the Arizal with his students, who were given permission by Hashem to teach to teach these secrets of Torah and to document it, to write down the Zoyar HaKodesh, the Tikkunei Zoyar, which opens up whole vistas. And th- but still, even a person learning the Zoyar HaKodesh, there are many, many things that, that are completely unclear and hidden until the Arizal came along, almost a thousand years later, and he explained, really explained, and, and created a, a, a format to be able to understand the revelations in the Zohar Kodesh, and then those con- some of those concepts are no longer a secret. And Rabbi Nassau went on to say, there are many, many things that today are remain a secret, and in the future they will no longer be a secret. It'll be the time will come when they're allowed to be revealed. And so too regarding the scientists and the philosophers. Rabbi Nezal said, regarding some of the very famous people in the Jewish community, where people have tremendous respect for them, <clears throat> and he mentioned one specifically, and here there are some editions of Chaim Aran where they don't mention it, they just, v'chulu, and there are some editions where it says that he was referring specifically to the Rambam. And he was talking about that Sefer specifically, the major philosophy book that the Rambam put out, Mem Nun. And Rabbi Nezal warned us in a very serious way not to learn those books at all, because they are the exact opposite of our Torah. Some of the things presented there completely contradict the, the things that are mentioned in the Torah. Question in the chat. <clears throat> Somebody mentioned that they heard that that among Breslava Hasidim there's a, a, a thought that since we no longer really know the difference between those questions that have answers and those questions that are best not to engage in at all, it's better to stay away from this at all completely. Does this mean that the statement of Rabbi Nezal, that Hasidim know what to answer, <coughs> no longer applies? The answer is to a degree. To a degree, yes. That in, in our generation, in our times, the level of Chachma, the level of depth of knowledge, is not the same as it was a hundred years ago and two hundred years ago. And therefore, in our generation, even people learning Rabbein Zalzforim need to be extremely, extremely careful to avoid, avoid going into philo- philosophical questions and to stay far away from the Sforim and the commentaries that we mentioned in previous Shurim, commentaries on the Chumash and the Nevi'im that base their commentary on philosophy, on Aristotelian, you know, thought, Rahman al-Islam. Paragraph 420, Rav Nassim writes, I heard it said over in the name of Rabbein Azal that he said it's, it's wonderful a person who is privileged to to walk and 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 travel in emuna and in emuna there are rooms one room that leads to another room that leads to another room and there are beautiful palatial rooms and the person goes from room to room from palace to palace and there are very well trodden paths inside there 
And from there, a person could enter into the next level, which is bitochoin, which is the level of complete trust in Hashem. And, and then afterwards, a person continues and continues on that path. Ashrei, fortunate is the person who chooses that direction. And again, Rabbi Nezor was emphasizing <clears throat> that this is what we want more than anything. We want to follow the path of emuna and bitochain rather than the, the, the path of the philosophers and the scientists especially when they openly disagree with the Torah or they question in an, in an improper way. They question and, and ridicule sometimes and try to disprove basic, basic concepts in the Torah. Any questions? The next paragraph, Rabbi Nezal said, the tzaddikim, even the tzaddikim of our times are also very precious in the eyes of Hashem. And if, if the only thing they accomplished was keeping people away from, from assimilating and from following the paths of people who don't learn Torah and don't observe mitzvahs, but people rather who conduct themselves, they try to emulate the secular world, the non-Jews. And they study philosophy and those things. And, and those people very often want to dress like those people and speak like those people and, and follow their culture, the, the secular non-Jewish culture, the styles and everything as has begun spreading during our time, Rabbi Nelson Zal writes, unfortunately. So if the tzaddikim only accomplished that one thing of keep, keep, keeping people away from that, that's also an accomplishment. That's also something very good. Because each and every single Jewish leader, regardless of how the quality of his own serving Hashem at least he's far, he's distant from following the, the secular world. And so to the people that come close to them, their students, their congregants also. Because at least since they don't follow the hairstyles, Rabbi Nezal mentioned specifically the hairstyles of long hair in the back or long hair in the front, <clears throat> those kind of things, which the, the Goyim in different generations, that was one of the ways that, that was the style. And, and that was what, that was the culture. So those people who don't go in that direction automatically are distant from their customs and their, their philosophies, etc., etc. And that's also a very big accomplishment. Because the path of philosophy and science again, where it disagrees completely, where it doesn't have any, any respect at all for Torah values or for religion, that's the worst of the worst. There's nothing worse than that. And ashray to the person who will stay far away from that. Then Rabbi Nassau made another statement, and he said that also the tzaddikim of our time, referring to his time even, by them also we see a, a certain degree of assimilation, of acting like the Goyim do. <coughs> because some of them conduct their homes like, like wealthy people, wealthy secular people. And, and in this manner, they are also considered to be assimilating a little bit with them. And as a result of this, Rabbi Nezal said, they can't really give Torah discourses. And even if they say certain things that apply to the people, let's say on a holiday, they can speak a little bit about the holiday, that kind of thing, but still, real Torah, to bring out revelations in Torah, that kind of thing, they're not, they're not capable of. And since they don't know the Torah well, 
then they, they don't really know anything. Because even prophecy is on a lower level than Torah. The Torah is above everything, and the Torah is koilal everything, and everything depends on the Torah. We know there's a statement in the Gemara, Chacham Odif Minavi, that a true Chacham is better than a prophet, will have better insights than a prophet. We know that among the prophets, there were two levels. There was the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, where the Gemara tells us he was able to see clearly and understand very clearly when Hashem spoke to him. He said, Whereas all of the other prophets, even when they saw prophecy, it was referred to as Aspaklaria She'ena Meira. It wasn't perfectly clear. And therefore, when they gave over messages, they would say, Koi Omar Hashem. Like this, approximately this is what Hashem said. So Rabbein spoke about this, that because these people conduct themselves like wealthy secular people, their homes have that kind of a look, <coughs> and, as, and, and they're not very knowledgeable in Torah, because they conduct themselves like these wealthy secular people, that results in them not having a clear knowledge of Torah. And because they don't have a clear knowledge of Torah, that leads them to follow the, the paths and the examples of these wealthy secular people. And Rabbi Nezal said, because of the fact that they don't have real Torah to teach, they're forced to, to dress like aristocrats and to, to run their, 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 their palaces, in a sense, in an aristocratic way, because otherwise people wouldn't recognize them as being important and significant since they don't have major Torah to teach. And Rabbein Azal said, this is what's referred to in a Pasuk in Eicha, where the Pasuk says, Malka v'soreha bagoyim ein Torah. Her, her kings and her officers are, are among the goyim. They, they have no Torah. Gam nevieho loimotsu chozoin meh. And, and their prophets also have not seen any prophecy. Rabbein Azal, this is one of the strong statements that Rabbein Azal makes, because even during his time, there were leaders, leaders, Jewish leaders, but who weren't really speaking Torah to their people. They weren't teaching Torah there would be a, a, a big tish, a large tish. People would come, and and it would look very majestic and very royal. But and and sometimes there would be singing done, and the the leader would be dressed in a beautiful, beautiful robe, something like that. And yet the people would walk away. They didn't get any real inspiration. They didn't hear anything that would lead to any serious self improvement. They didn't hear any real Torah being revealed. And Rabbi Nezal took issue with this. Any questions? The next paragraph, 422, <clears throat> Rabbi Nezal said, this you don't know, that in Germany there are no Zohar Kodesh, there are no books of the Zohar Kodesh. And even some editions of the Zohar Kodesh that were published, that were printed in Germany, they, they, they don't exist in the land of Germany. They've been sold to Poland, to Russia, to places like that. And Rabbi Nezal said, because they don't have the Zohar Kodesh, therefore the Jews there go dressed like the Germans because the garments, garments of a person, the clothing that a person wears, is like makifin. Remember, we mentioned earlier, there are two levels of knowledge. There's that knowledge that's inside of a person, the knowledge that a person understands and knows. That's called pnimium. There's that knowledge 
that's above the person, a very high-level knowledge, like secrets of Torah, Kabbalah, things like that, which most people don't know, that's called makifin. That's not inside the person, that's outside. And that's referred to as a garment sometimes. So because of the fact that they don't have these Zohar Kodesh, they don't have these makifin, as a result, their clothing resembles the clothing of the non-Jews. And Rabbi Nezal said that because of this, they have to be very, very careful to keep their clothing perfectly neat and, and, and respect it very much. And Rabbi Nezal says that Rabbi Nezal stopped in the middle of the discussion and he wouldn't explain further the connection, to really show the connection between this, this the, the, the clothing that the Germans, German Jews wore and how that's connected to the fact that there's no Zohar Kodesh the books of the Zohar Kodesh are not found in that land. Question regarding Rabbi Nezal saying staying away from scientific studies and 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 philosophy, those kind of things. Is there any inference? To, to extract the holiness from those scientific studies that relate to medicine, let's say medical technology <clears throat> for people that are sick, or agriculture technology to improve food production, etc., etc. The answer is, the Gemara says that there is Chachma Bagoyim, that there is Chachma, there are levels of knowledge, there are seven wisdoms, there's the wisdom of music, for example, and other types of music. There is Chachma there. But again, Rabbi Nezal was warning us that there's tremendous danger there also, that the moment the, the Chachma veers into the area of science that contradicts Torah, or the moment that it veers into an area of philosophy that questions things about Hashem, about creation that we're not allowed to question, that's where the problem, that's where the danger comes in. With two more paragraphs to finish this section, 423. Rabbi Nezal says, regarding, again, the philosophers who delved into thinking about the creation and creator, and some of them came to a a realization that the force behind creation is obviously something very, very high, way, way above anything that we can comprehend. And, And as a result of that, some of them were led to believe that therefore... The Creator obviously is not involved in our day-to-day activities. They don't believe in Ashkacha Prati or things like that at all whatsoever. But Rabbi Nezal said, but with all of their knowledge and deep thinking, they have not been able to, to realize any mitzvahs of the mitzvahs of the Torah. Because the mitzvahs of the Torah, the commandments of the Torah, are not something that they can come to a realization of through their scientific thought or through their methods of philosophical thinking whatsoever. And because of that, they end up being atheists, they end up denying the existence of Hashem. And therefore, we have to stay far away from them. From them. Rabbi Nezal saying, even though some of them realize that there is a force that's way, way above our conception, but since they're not using the Torah as their guide in any kind of way, with all of their methods of study and analysis and everything, they haven't been able, they can't come up with one mitzvah in the Torah. And as a result, unfortunately, they don't believe. They don't believe. And this is, again, one of the reasons to stay far away from them. The next paragraph, 424, there is a shita among some mekubalim called the Shemitois. Shemitah means the seventh year. 
that there's six years, just like there's six days of the week, and then there's Shabbos, there's the seventh year, and then there's the Shemitah year. There were certain Mikubalim that held that the years of the of creation were broken into cycles of a thousand years each, and each cycle corresponds to a different sphera, and some of the early Mekubolim, such as Rav Moshe de Leon, who wrote the Sefer Nefesh HaChochma, and he was the one, I believe, who discovered, who found the Zohar HaKodesh, they, they presented a, a, uh, a path of, of per, per, perceiving that, that this is how the world is operating. The world is operating based on these Shemitahs. And Rabbi Nezal said that it's not true, it's incorrect. And the Arizal also disagreed completely with this interpretation, this, this, this idea of these Shemitahs as is presented in these forums. And whenever Abenazal would speak about it, he would make it clear that he disagreed with it. There is a sefer called Share Ganeden, which Rab Nosanzal writes was recently reprinted, and Rabbeinazal did not agree with it. He didn't like it because it followed that theory of the Shemitas. And Rabbeinazal said clearly that it's it's not right. We tried to get Rabbeinazal to speak more about it. And Rabbeinazal said, and, and what if I would reveal more? Didn't I tell you enough? And he didn't want to go into it at all. He didn't want to explain. He didn't want to discuss it further. And he, again, he said that the Arizal also disagreed completely with these ideas. And as far as a particular question that's raised in the beginning of this Sefer Shari Gan Eden, Rabbeinazal said it's not really answered by the solution you know, he asks a question and he tries to resolve it using this theory of the Shemitahs. And, and ultimately, even with that solution, it requires faith, it requires emuna. So isn't it better to just, instead of going, going that direction and then having to turn to faith, to rely on faith from the beginning? And again, this, rep- this, this applies to all questions and speculations related to the creation of the world, etc. Rabbi Nezal said that this theory of the Shemitahs was also rejected by the author of the Shvoche Ho'arizal, which was Reb Shleim Shimel, and who also made it clear that those who claim that the world was previously in the cycle of Chesed, and now it's in the cycle of in the cycle of Ahava, and now it's in the cycle of Yira. That the that the early students of the Arizal's Kabbalah heard some of these things, and they incorrectly added the Shemitah theory to that. The final paragraph in this section. Rabbi Nezawan said that through Emuna, a person could come to such an incredible level of desire and yearning for Hashem that the person would start screaming, tie me up because I feel like I'm going to explode. I'm going to explode. That's what a person can get through, through pure, simple, healthy faith in Hashem. We'll hold it over here for now. Any questions, please? Wishing everybody a wonderful week, Amir Hashem. I intend to be traveling to New York tonight, Amir Hashem, and I'll be there till right before Hanukkah, Amir Hashem. I'll be in the New York, New Jersey area. One of the things that I have to address is the fact that both of my parents passed away in the, in the past half a year or so. There's a lot of things that need to be straightened out related to that. But I also hope 
to be doing what I can for Breslov, for Abenazals, Inyonim. If anybody wants to be in touch, please feel free to contact me through email, through my American phone number, Emitzah We should be zeichet to make all the proper preparations. I hope we will have this shear next Sunday, Emitzah and the daily Likuti Aloha Shurim will be on a Monday to Thursday basis. So the next Likuti Aloha Shir will be Thursday morning, Eretz Yisrael time, Emitzah Wishing everybody a good week, and we should be zeichet to good news. We should be zeichet to see Yeshua's for Klal Yisrael, especially the coming of Moshiach, the Binyan Beis Amikdash, Bemher Rabbi Amenu, Amen v'Amen.